0: desire is the enemy of contentment or at least that's what doris told herself imagine a land where rivers flow with milk and honey where beyond tall trees with lavender leaves light a haven where dreams never die just to see it in her mind was a blessing in itself yet a certain ache bore within her an ache so strong she could barely feel her own breath there wasn't a moment that went by where doris didn't think about magic Doris saw herself dancing with the stars, soaring like a wish come true, to the point where she could barely tell fiction from reality. What would it be like to create wonders with just the tip of your finger? What would it be like to know freedom? A tear ran down her cheek every time she thought about it. Doris was a long way far from home and all that she knew, well, almost all that she knew. Her hubble of sticks of mud wasn't too different from the one she had on Earth, but it was all she could afford for now. Doris worked day and night, hunting down gigantic fireflies with her fishing net and crafting their behinds into iridescent bulbs for maniacal overlords. It was such a chore. In the little time Doris had to herself, she feasted on unripened apples and grisly wolf meat. Doris even taught herself how to churn dew from spider webs into something drinkable. It wasn't exactly what Doris called the high life, but there was nothing she could do about the land of Little Rock. It had been plundered by demons for all it was worth ages ago. Now it was a land so brittle and barren, using what little energy it had left to create, but never flourish. Doris had prayed, pushed, and pleaded, but no matter what she did, she just couldn't find the land of milk and honey. It was as if a great brick wall had been built there just for her. What good was dreaming if it was all Doris could do? If she hadn't known the sweet succulence of black and blue berries, would the apples taste like grainy lemon sand? Would her lips whimper in the night chill if her hands never grazed the fire? Desire was a poor man's plague. She'd be the richest person alive if she could appreciate all she had. Perhaps the answer was right in front of her. No, what was she thinking? Doris couldn't go back home. If it weren't for the disparaging I told you so's from her folks, the trip alone might be enough to kill her. Sure, life on the other side wasn't what she imagined, but waking up. Another day back on Earth was a burden she could no longer bear. After all, she only had what? 70, oh, seventy-four years left? Goodness, these two decades alone flew right by her. There simply was no other choice. Doris had to keep going before time was up. It was then and there that the strangest idea dawned upon Doris. What if the gateway to milk and honey was a matter of service? Doris hadn't come across the chance to help another person through magic, but she never really thought about it until now. She should ask for a mission at one of the agencies she delivered to. Doris never knew when they were looking for help. Maybe they didn't either. It wouldn't hurt to put herself out there and ask. Goodness, her hands were shaking at the thought of it, but she had to start somewhere. Doris rose up from her tiny bed of pebbles at once. She bundled herself in her best coat and gathered her next sack of bulbs to go. Doris nearly reached the door until she caught her reflection in the mirror. Looking back at her was a rather petite and swarthy woman whose bulbous features were softened by the curves of her untamed coils. Were her brows all right? Did her nose look too big? There was a synthetic look about her, especially in her eyes. Her pupils were as black as obsidian, absolutely endless and perfect for a creature of the night. Well, almost perfect. She would have been sacred if it were not for Doris lightly grazed her cheek, if it were not for the pox, pitted and pitiful, stamped onto her by an ominous force out there to warn those of her existence. (sighs) Doris took a deep breath and nodded to herself. Her home was gobsmacked in the middle of nowhere, the dirt road ahead seemingly stretched out for miles. Nevertheless, Doris gently smiled before setting off into the orange horizon. Miles away in the lower realms, a horde of protesters occupy the city streets of Broswin Heights. The signs read, lights out, the end is here. Call her mad, but she was right. And down with the veil. One protester donning a black bandana lifts up a megaphone. If the prophecy isn't real, then why are the shepherds trying so hard to silence us, huh? Matter of fact, let's talk about what's really going on behind the scenes. They talk about law and order, love and light. Man, screw all that. They just don't want us to know the truth. They want to keep us servile and in line like sheep. Well, this is our world, too, and we're not going anywhere until we get some real answers. The crowd behind them roars and raise their signs to the sky. About several stories high, a gentle breeze grazes a pair of velvet curtains on the balcony. Behind them resides a sleek, brass-brushed apartment with an electric view of the nocturnal city. Deep laughter echoes behind the front door. Swear, they would have gotten me too if I hadn't jabbed my sig in the lover. Kit, a mosaic of sun, strolls in with the fiberglass case in hand. Jack, a sleek silver fox, locks the door after him. First they've closed the borders for two weeks, and now they've put up all these restrictions. It's a good thing you nabbed it when you did. Uh Uh-uh. Kit didn't nab it. He discovered it. There was a big difference. Kit scoffed, unraveling the Persian scarf he collected on his trip to the Madlands. It's such a shame. People have forgotten what it means to be an explorer. Kit laid the case onto the coffee table. He opened the case, revealing a short primitive flute sculpted from bone. What is this thing anyway? Kit asked. Wouldn't he know? Apparently not. Kit only came across one native on his way back. One of those salt merchants, to be exact. Kit tried asking the merchant about the flute, but when he pulled it out, the old man nearly jumped out of his shoes and zipped all the way back over the hill. Well, that can't be good, Jack snorted. You're telling him. Kid crossed his arms and leaned back. So, what is it? Jack carefully picked up the piece. They called it Nancho's Arrow, a musical instrument molded from the bone of a cave wolf. The flute possessed one of the most powerful frequencies in the metaphysical realm, only growing more potent with age. It had many strengths, but most importantly, it held the ability to empower people in times of peril. Who is Nancho? Jack paused for a moment. Who knows? Some guy? Either way, the flute eventually trickled down to humankind when the nomads of the East were establishing a covenant with their god. Kit raised a brow. And this is going to help me how? Kit didn't have time to play games. He had worked far too hard to secure a good life for himself. If working meant conjuring energies was stolen, (coughs) uh, borrowed. Ancient sacraments and a good life meant spending months on exotic islands, tinked from fine wine and women. But just the other day, his checks at the jeweler bounced out of nowhere. The week before, he lost 300k in stocks and another 200 in real estate. It was time to get another fix. The old ones weren't doing it for him anymore. But this was the last time, he told himself. Then he was going to quit this fetish magic for good. Patience, dear friend. A deal's a deal. Jack knew that. It was time for Kit to relax, sit back, and let Jack do what he does best. Jack brought the flute to his lips and played. good. Kit closed his eyes and exhaled all tension. His entire body began to glow a bright red. The music was so radiant, so warm, it reminded him of the boy he used to be, in a time where the simplest of pleasures could satiate him. Then, the strangest thing occurred. Kit shivered from the added trill. He furrowed his brows and laughed. This was new. Kit opened his eyes. It was then that he noticed there was no shadow behind Jack. No human one anyway. And as Kit's aura grew dim, Jack's aura grew brighter. His dull skin began to glow. Luscious hair grew in from his bald spots. And his gaunt cheeks grew plump. Hey, what are you? Kit reached for his throat. The flute had swiped his voice. He couldn't speak. In a matter of seconds, Kit dissipated and swirled straight into the flute. His Persian scarf plummeted to the ground. You see, boys, it was just as Jack, ahem, Onspear, had said. Onspear held the flute up. It's just an energy. Anything can be inverted. Gigantic shadows of horned beasts emerged from every inch of the walls. A legion of demons surround him. Fine, yes, they believed him now. But what was wrong with the old ways? They sold fear. Teeth chattering, bone rattling, fear. That never got old. Onspear bit his tongue at his brethren. If they were going to survive, they desperately needed to modernize. Gone were the days of paralyzing mortals with lower-level boogeymen and juvenile nightmares. Most humans didn't believe in that stuff anymore. They had gotten these scientists and these shrinks yapping about there's there's no such thing and that it's all in the mind. But you know what humans still believe in? his lips curled into a crooked grin. Love, money, freedom. Give them what they want. Sell them a dream they'll never want to wake up from. All we gotta do is find ourselves that one schmuck to plant the seed into the right people's heads. That's all it takes, one. And before you know it, these morons will be coming to us. There'll be whole generations of them to siphon from. No more being stuck on the other side, scrambling for scraps of energy just to stay alive. We will walk the earth not as demons, but as gods among men, just as the mad hag prophesied. The demons howled with cheer and laughter. Black mist consumed the room. 54, 54. Oh, Doris looked up from the paper. A lean glass skyscraper towered above a bustling metropolis, fogged by motor spirit and cigarette smoke. Doris entered the elevator, pressing number sixteen. Doris carefully set down her belongings and rolled up her sleeves, putting her hand out. A speck of light spawns from her palm. It grew and grew until the light went out. Doris bawled her hand immediately. She bent over, snatching her things when <coughs> she choked on spit. Doris clutched her chest, croaking for a breath of air. The doors opened. In stepped a quiet, burly man with the eyes of a thousand knives, covered from head to toe in suit and muck. A large shovel hung over his shoulder. Doris, clearing her throat for the last time, smiled for polite sake. The man merely grunted. He pressed a button and stepped to the side. That's when Doris saw the little note on her paper. What? Oh, shoot, it's not floor 16, it's 17. How could she mix that up? The number 7 was virtually blaring at her in red. Doris reached over to the menu, but her fingers merely hovered. There was 16 and 18, but 17 was nowhere to be seen. Um, sir? Doris squeaked. Doris faced the giant, straightening up so her knees wouldn't buckle. Was she in the wrong building? Was this not 5481 West Murphy Street? It was? Then could you pretty please help her find floor 17? The man stepped forward. Uh, wait, what was he? Did he really press all the buttons at once? A soft violet light illuminated the elevator. The number on the screen shot up faster than lightning, and then suddenly glitched out. Doris screamed and held onto the railing for dear life. Swabs of black goo seeped from above, missing Doris by an inch as they plopped onto the ground. Doris leaned over the pedal and dipped her toe in. In mere seconds, her foot sank into the cold jelly. Doris screamed and yanked her foot out, hitting her back against the wall. This was floor 17? Yes, the man grunted. Now hurry up, I don't have all day. She was going to have to cross over. Apparently last year's budget was slashed in half. They transferred all the expendables to the hazier parts. Right, whatever that meant. Doris dipped her toe into the puddle again, slowly this time. Slowly. Slowly. Ak! With a hard shove from behind, Doris fell through the puddle. Doris screamed as she plummeted through the air. As she descended from the sky, her body evaporated into a phantasmic form and expanded like a balloon. She'd become a human parachute. Whee! Doris gleamed as she floated about. She'd always want us to say that word. Now seemed like the perfect time. Doris softly landed, shrinking back to normal. Doris looked at her hand, turning one around. The tip of her fingers whisked away briefly before coming to again. That guy wasn't kidding. These were hazier parts. Pass. Too controversial. Onspear leaned back in his chair. He blinked his eyes, fighting a yawn. He and a group of men circled the conference table, watching a presentation of human candidates up front. With a wave of his hand, the projectionist swipes from the hologram of a flashy American rapper to a more conservative candidate. Shinjiho, age 48 from Busan, Korea. He works as a film composer for KG Cinema. What? They're going for low-hanging fruit now? Uh, pass. Look, come on, what was so difficult to understand? They needed someone with a wider reach, someone who could harness as much energy as possible. All heads turned to the door. In comes Doris, who greeted them all with a smile. Don't mind her. She's just here to fix the lights. Okay, then. So, who's left? The men turned their attention back to the board. No. 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 Stop. Mm, Meh. Pass. Keep going. Pass. Nope. Wait. Wait, wait. Stop. Go back. The screen lands on the image of a spunky red-headed woman. Onspear straightened up and leaned in, meeting her eye to eye. Who was that? Name? Petra Beta, age 22 from Ponce, Puerto Rico, an international pop star whose wild child ego was clashing with the rising demand for raw soul. Her tight smile was a dead giveaway. The men beamed with joy. Petra was perfect. They just couldn't decide if they should smother, possess, or... No. Glamour. That was it. If one of them could head over to White Hill and grab some glamours, they'd be good to go. In fact, there was a shot behind these tall lavender trees, and Doris's ears perked up. Were they talking about what she thought they were talking about? The land of milk and honey. Where beyond tall trees with lavender leaves lie a haven where dreams never die. <laughs> the heart of magic itself. And these guys were going there. All the men needed now was a way to get into Petra's mind. If only they could find the right conduit to cast a spell and open up. I can help! All eyes turned to Doris. She cleared her throat and stepped forward. Doris was actually a mystic too, you see. Uh, Bulbs were just something she did on the side. She's been practicing the occult for, what, six, seven years now? Okay, that's nice, but did she have any experience with humans? Doris laughed. Plenty. Doris put her hand out. A beam of light emerged from her palm and sparked out into a flutter of ethereal butterflies. One by one, the butterflies soared throughout the room. The demons stumbled back in their chairs. A few fell out, evading all strokes of light. Still one butterfly managed to singe the tip of a demon's man bun. He scowled. I call them... Prayer Pixies! <laughs> okay, still working on the name. There were specks of light sent to uplift those who were submerged in the darkest parts of themselves. Humans were no strangers to suffering. Perhaps all Petra needed was a little faith. No! The butterflies grew limp at Onspear's bark and perished to dust. The room darkened back to its natural state. The demons glanced at each other and grumbled. Perhaps it was in their best interest to stick to their own devices. The demons gathered their things to go. Onspear collected his flute case and faced Doris door shrunk. He eyed her up and down, sneering. You humans never ch- Onsper suddenly wrinkled his nose. He turned away, pulling his handkerchief out, and sneezed. Onspur cleared his throat, waving away potential butterfly dust. Change. Excuse me. Listen. You seem like a nice girl. You've got big dreams, that's for sure. But if you want people to take you seriously in this town, sunshine and sparkles aren't going to cut it. Maybe he was right. Or maybe this wasn't her sort of crowd. There was no shortage of mystics in the land of milk and honey. There were all kinds of people from all different walks of life. or so Doris heard. Onspir raised a brow. The land of... (sighs) Oh, of course. She was one of those... The wide-eyed novice who felt the strange urge to leave her little home. That she didn't belong here with the rest of them. That she was meant for better, bigger, brighter things. What kind of nonsense were humans telling each other on Earth? Doris couldn't earn her way in with service. There was no earning, winning, or anything of the sort. This wasn't a game. It all came down to a simple coin toss. The land of milk and honey is home to beauty. He explained, "Not the mindless vanities you mortals revere, but the kind that leaves you anew, that's who makes it to the land of milk and honey, the loving, the honest, the brave. They are what make the rivers flow. Truth is, there is no mercy for people like us, the disfigured and discarded. All that's left on this forsaken soil is to squirm for space in this blinding darkness and dreams dreams of a day when we will feel the sun again knowing it will never come the silence was deafening enough to drive anyone insane and perhaps that's what happened because in that moment doris locked eyes with the hologram of nanchul's arrow Doris grabbed her coat and tore a piece of string hanging off from the end. She wrapped the strings around her fingers, closed her eyes, and bobbed the string like a fiddle. Doris slowly exited the room, tightly gripping the strap of her bag. She looked around left and right before heading towards the elevator. Doris pressed a button. She tapped her foot against the floor. Come on, come on. Oh, thank you, heaven. I'll start praying again, I promise. Hey, lady! A shrill, raspy voice scorched the room. Dora spun around, eyes wide. A bold, bushy-browed man hunted her down. Missing something? The man holds up a colorful beret made of feathers. Oh, she didn't even notice. Doris sheepishly smiled. Thank you. Doris took the beret and stepped into the elevator. The doors closed. Doris placed a hand on her chest and let out a huge sigh of relief. Doris cupped her hands in the pond. The water began to shimmer and swirl. She buried her face into her palms and scrubbed. She scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. Doris scrubbed so hard she swore she would erase herself. But when she lifted her head... Still spotted. Her skin riddled with scars and dents she'd been carrying since her adolescence. It was always going to be there. No amount of magic could whisk it away, not even in her wildest of dreams. Doris shut her eyes and tore away from her reflection as quickly as possible. But she couldn't help but choke. Doris thrashed her arms against the water, consumed by a nauseating fury and hope. A dash of hope that all that thrashing would rearrange what she saw looking back at her. But eventually she grew tired, and all that remained were the ripples of a woman shrouded in her own contempt. Doris glided her fingers across her reflection once more. Swirling clockwise, her pox began to fade. What? This wasn't hurting anyone. It was just a little glamour. She was still Doris. She was just a more beautiful, magical, lovable Doris. A Doris that didn't torment people with her deformities. Perhaps Doris couldn't change the truth, but for eight hours a day, she could pretend. The pox faded completely. She sighed. Doris picked up the flute and looked it over again. She didn't even know why she took it anymore. Doris shoved the flute into her bag and stood up. She began to walk home, the instrument rattling around with every step. Doris looked up. That's strange. since when did it rain in Little Rock? Doris jolted from her bed in cold sweat. She was back on earth, awake, back to a tiny, shabby apartment, littered with zero-calorie cans, self-help scripture, and clothes worn six days in a row. A cold wind ran past Doris. Doris shivered. She yanked the covers off and walked over to the window. Doris pushed the window down. The window slid a little, but suddenly stuck into place. Doris groaned. Ugh, not this again. Doris pushed it down some more, exerting more force, but the window didn't budge. She cracked her hands and stretched before returning to the task. Doris pushed and pushed until... A sliver of light from the window catches her eye. Doris bent down and looked through the gap. The skies were clear and calm save for the occasional gust of wind. People were walking down the street in a simple tea, walking their kids to school or heading into their cars for their daily nine-to-five. It was just another average morning. Doris parted from the window. She returned to a stormy black night. A strike of lightning flashed before her. Doris ran. Doris swung open the bedroom door, only to see a closet before her. Oddly enough, there was another set of closet doors besides her. Maybe they were reversed? Doris went over and swung the pair open, and yep. Another closet. Doris turned around and gulped. It was all making sense now. She wasn't awake, not even close. This was a dream within a dream. Doris faced the noise and chanted, Kivanti! Three spotted feathers unclasped from Doris' beret. The feathers transform into sparks and hurl towards the intruder. The sparks strike every spot imaginable, fizzle out, and regenerate to attack again. An invisible wisp bounces around like an Olympic acrobat, dodging their every move. Doris looks around, breathing heavily. The feathers shimmer back into her beret, but there's no entity in sight, just her bedroom in shambles. Bored yet? The voice snapped. Look, you're wasting your time. I'm already dead. Dead or not, he was still intruding. Actually, no, you brought me here. Doris furrowed her brows. Since when? Then... oh no, she saw it. The flute lying neatly on her pillow. Doris hurried to the flute. What had she done? Doris only wanted to show those pricks a thing or two, not take their baggage home with her. Doris bent down to meet the flute, eye to eye, or eye to hole, whatever. Who was the spirit, and what did he want? My name's Kit, if it helps. Doris spun around to see a slender, olive-skinned man donning beaded jewelry and free-flowing trousers. He sat cross-legged in a colorful chair made from clay. Kit Glasgow. Doris looked from her sweaty palms to his. It all made even more sense now. The exhaustion, the sweats, the aches, they were all coming from Kit. She was picking up on his energy. Kit shook his head. It was the flute, but other frequencies existed there too. It's only malignant if it falls into the wrong hands. And, well, Kit made a huge mistake, perhaps the biggest of his life, and he needed Doris's help to fix it. Doris's lips remained stiff. As charming as Kit was, this wasn't her first rodeo. How did she know Kit was really who he said he was? That he wasn't working for the demons? Because Kit was the very schmuck they screwed over. Kit was a mystic like her. Even better if he was going to be frank, but that's besides the point. The man had been practicing magic years before she was born. He had encountered every trick in the book. Possession, glamour, hypnosis, vampirism, you name it but even the most intelligent minds can fall victim to deceit. Kid thought he was going to lose everything he had ever worked for and sought the help of a long-time friend he thought he could trust. That friend turned out to be an undercover sleep paralysis demon preying on the hopeless. They also prey on the naive, Doris huffed. What was next? He sold his soul and needed her to get it back. Please. Spirits spin stories all the time. It's what they do best. We don't have time for this. Sweat trickled down Kid's forehead like a string of pearls. If the demons succeeded with their plan, a harvesting as great as theirs could onset the first phase of the Mad Hag prophecy, damning humankind to an eternity of chaos. What, what did she mean? What prophecy? Was Doris living under a rock? I don't know. Does it look like I get Wi-Fi out here? I'm sorry, Wi-Fi. We're on a telepathic, reality-shifting, trans-dimensional plane, and you're talking about Wi-Fi? Kit took a deep breath. Oh boy, it was starting to make sense why a mystic like Doris was wandering about on the outskirts in abysmal hovels like Little Rock, no less. She was in tune, but not quite there yet. So, what did the enchantress see? When the sea turns white at the sight of man, and the morning salt goes up in flames. A flock of birds will unwind the fourth illusion and grace the serpent's tongue. What was hailed as sacred seed will be revealed as venomous rot. Only one key shall be granted through the mortal's mirror before the high guide calls. At the stroke of midnight, under the embrace of the blue moon, the veil between two worlds will collapse and become one. If what the mad hag saw was true, it would reset the world as they knew it. The dream would rise to prominence. Earth would be no more. Would that end in tropical paradise or a bloodless wasteland? Depends who comes out on top and alive. Kit looked around her humble abode. Humble was certainly a word for it, but there was one thing. He could tell that Doris truly savored magic from what little she had. Kit scoured her collectibles, picking up her wand made of tree bark and beeswax, You want to be a mystic, right? Doris was already a mystic. Yes, but one who goes down in history, the kind they talk about for ages. Doris scoffed. She didn't need the fame or glory, hoping people was enough. Kit chuckled. Cute, but really. His eyes scanned her aura. Kit had seen violet auras before, but there was something about Doris's, something off, that he just couldn't put his finger on. What exactly did Doris intend to do with her power? Did she even know? Look, Kit implored, if you banish Spear and set me free, not only will I help you get to the land of milk and honey. Doris perked up once again. Kit knew where it was. He could get her in? I, he proceeded, would teach you the very essence of magic, from enchantments and charms to divination and the dark arts. Defense against the dark arts, if that's more your style. Mark my words, you will be known as one of the greatest mystics of all time. And what would stop Kit from stabbing her in the back the second he got free? How could Doris trust him? Lesson number one, he began, don't trust anyone.